After unusual COVID-style staycations, Scott and I reunite to discuss power. How should the evolving leader think about power? We explore a definition that conceives of it as a currency to be wisely spent, as opposed to it being an asset to be accumulated and defended. We discuss what needs to evolve within us to see and manage power in healthy and productive ways. And finally, we finish with practices that leaders can experiment with to develop their relationship with power. John, welcome back. Welcome back from your vacation. Thank you, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Did you go anywhere? No, it was a staycation. How about you? I'm feeling particularly positive the last couple of weeks. I've kind of reconnected with some personal practices that I had kind of abandoned without consciously realizing it since we've been on lockdown, really directing most of my energy towards, you know, continuing to try to help others, but kind of neglecting myself in the process. I've, I've kind of had let go of certain exercise routines and mindfulness exercises and just kind of investing in myself. And uh, when I look back on the month of July, I think I was really experiencing an emotional low point with the restrictions and kind of the reality of everything. And, and some of that, of course, is just the sobering reality of what's continuing to go on in the world. And I don't want to minimize that on any level. Um, but I think the other part of it was that I was neglecting the very things that I tell other leaders to do for themselves. And so the last couple of weeks I've, I've reengaged with those and uh, I feel, I'm feeling really good, Mm. really positive. How about you? Um, Reasonably similar, actually. Um, Yeah. I've been trying to, to refocus again on, on the physical dimension. Uh, And one thing in particular inspired in part by one of our guests that's coming up, Lisa Fieldman Barrett, um, which is this kind of idea of, trying to understand the distinction between how you're feeling and your emotions, which, are, which, which she points out are two different things. So the feeling state that's generated by your, your kind of body budget, your, uh, your, your CO2, your glucose, your oxygen levels, your, your adrenaline, all that kind of stuff, and how influential that can be on your thinking um, and your emotions and trying to separate those two things. And I got tremendous benefit from doing that, you know, particularly on holiday. Um, yeah, so that, that was exciting. I'm really excited to, to talk to her. Oh, me too. I love her book. It's um, it's turned so many things upside down for me. I can't wait to have that conversation with her. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, today we're talking about power. Um, you and I have had a lot of offline discussions about the sort of good and the bad and the opportunities that power has in our world. Um, and from a leadership perspective, is a, a particularly important conversation. So I just want to start off with a question to you, John. I'm curious. I was thinking about this while you were on staycation. What are some images that come to mind for you when you hear the word power? Hmm. Well, I suppose immediately it's quite a polarizing word, isn't it? You know, because at one end mm-hmm. you've got Gordon Gecko, greed is good, and the other end you've got Gandhi. Um, so it's very mixed. <laughs> uh, and I know for many people it almost immediately triggers a negative reaction with the kind of connotations it's about uh, acquiring power um, either to dominate people or to, to, to their detriment. But, you know, I start with a, a neutral position. I think power is like electricity. It's simply the capacity to do things, good things, bad things. Mm-hmm. So a powerful person or a team or an organization has you know, the capacity to do great or terrible things. And it starts wars, it disenfranchises minorities, gives other minorities disproportionate wealth, but it can also get you know deals done, enable big bets on creating breakthrough innovation. It establishes 
you know, incredible institutions like the NHS in the UK. So I think our, our discussion today might be to try and explore what definition of power the evolving leader should be formulating in their minds. Yeah, I think it, it's quite mixed for me as well. I, I look back on uh, when I was an early careerist, and I think of how I kind of responded to the archetypical powerful person. There's a kind of sense that you had to sort of relinquish something to someone else, which is kind of true. It's partly true. Um, but someone who has that sort of powerful title that you need to be sort of deferential. I quieted down my own voice towards the desire to please or reassure the powerful person. Or there was times when I sort of would hide. Um, <laughs> I'd try to avoid the powerful person. There's also uh, personal power, which I think is a different image and a different construct of power, which has nothing to do with positional authority. And that's the the person's charisma or energy. I think we all know people who are incredibly charming, um, positive, agreeable, um, or or the opposite. They're sort of ag- aggressive, but there's something, it's just more of an attitudinal um, and a sort of posture of how they, they show up and kind of move through the world. And then there's power of story. And specifically, I was thinking about powerful stories that are told about people. Um, over the years, I've I've met leaders after having heard stories about them, oftentimes not positive stories. And I'm talking about in all different fields of influence and you know places in life that I that I find myself. But I'd hear stories, and then I met them. There was a big gap between some sort of almost folklore story I'd been told and the reality of who they actually were. Most of the time, finding that the story itself had created this sort of powerful image that wasn't actually true. And so anyway, for all the different images and feelings that are sort of conjured up when we hear that word power, you know, I think it depends a lot on our experience at the hands of power. I think we feel conflicted by the word. I think power is coveted. It's feared. We want it and we don't want anyone else to have too much of it. We respect it. We mock it. We fight it. We compare ourselves to it. We resist it. Um, and we embrace it. And I think sometimes we give it away too easily when we have it. You know, we don't we don't value it. And we don't always match it with the responsibility that it actually deserves. Yeah. So I, I think that idea of power being a neutral thing, it tests us on so many levels, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, completely. And I think it's not always about having formal authority either. I think that's an important distinction. Um, ideas themselves have power. Um so let's say you're the author of an influential blog site or, or you're the host of the Evolving Leader po- podcast. I mean, clearly, <laughs> this is a powerful chair to be in. Um, <laughs> you, we're wielding huge influence in the world right now. Well, what um, our, f- our five listeners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we're in a world of tastemakers and influencers, you know, on social media, you know, so, so just, you know, audience figures and reshares, you know, is power. It's, um, it's influencing people in the world. Um, so John, from a leadership perspective, what does it mean to you to have power and what are we supposed to do with it? I also kind of want to add on to that question. Is there a time when it's too much? Like when is enough power and, and, is, and can you have too much power? Wow. That's a hard question. Um, well, I, I think there are many worldviews around what power is or it should be. Um, one that prevails in our world in the West is that power is all about the individual. It's about willpower. It's about authority. 
and control. It's about imposing your will on the environment. And that um, self-determination, I think another, um, which is probably a more evolved position, sees power as the ability to drive the progress of humanity, not just from my competitive position Mm. within it. I think we've proven that, um, you know, the kind of utopian view of power, its absence, is the denial of human nature and market forces. It, it can't exist. It creates a vacuum, hence the terrible consequences of those um, disastrous communist experiments in the Soviet Union and in Cambodia. So what that suggests to me is that, that the moral component of power is essential because it's the fulcrum that getting things done versus getting them done at any cost. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about how power can work in a system where individual and collective needs are working together. That version of power is about investing it. And you think about power as an, uh, something you invest, like a currency, to increase the capacity and the competence, the potential and influence. So it's in service of a purpose and a vision and the people that play part of it. And I think once you start thinking about power as, an, as, a, as a kind of currency, it takes on a different um, nature. Hmm. I love that. But not everybody wants that version of power. That's the other thing. Like money, power is something that we're, you know, we're taught from an early age to strive for, to respect, to fear and avoid. And throughout the animal kingdom, it appears to be like you know, this inherent quality of societies. And without power being gained and channeled and given, communities couldn't function and societies would fall into chaos. So, so we want stability and predictability. Hence, we vest others with power. Um, to create and maintain that order. And at the same time, we resent the restrictions on our freedom that they then impose because they have to make moral choices Mm. on our behalf. So we have this overwhelming desire for order at a societal level together with the universal truth that only a relatively small number of us really want the power to create that order. So that's always going to create an asymmetric world. It's how you make that asymmetry healthy that I think the evolving leader needs to think about. Man, I love the way you put that. Um, so to me, no matter what image is conjured by the word, uh, by the word power, I think, I think of power as something that is intended to always be a servant. Um, and what I mean by that is it either serves our egos or it serves the needs of others. Um, the moment you stop using power and service to something else um, is the moment that you potentially begin to be corrupted by the power that you hold. I love that sentiment. Um, I wonder if it's a little polarizing or a little bit um, idealistic, because could it not be both? I mean, our ego, your ego, my ego has a need. Um, So can we hold our ego's needs at the same time as the needs of others Mm. in that healthy balance? I mean, I think that's what makes a a great marriage work, a great partnership, so I'm not sure I can or even want to suppress my needs for feeling valued when I serve others um, because I don't think you can ever truly be selfless in that sense. I mean, some people do appear to be very highly on that spectrum, um, but they're very rare. So maybe maybe the way I put it is a bit polarizing, but but I think I still believe it. So let me try to nuance what I mean a little bit better so maybe it st- sounds a little less polarizing. So you talked about... The- the one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum when we first started this conversation. So at one end, power that only serves the ego is 
kind of an abuse, not just of our position, but it, it it's an abuse. This might be getting a little bit woo-woo, <laughs> but it's kind of an abuse of our authentic selves, who we are underneath our cultivated images. Um, and it can be an abuse of others because it desires to control people as a means to keep holding on to the power. So thereby it starts to limit people to only being useful to serving our needs. And on the other end of the spectrum, so that's one extreme, okay? So I'm not saying most leaders fall into that by any means. I'm saying that's one extreme. And on the other end of the spectrum, the focus becomes on empowering. So it's wielding our power to empower others to be their best and most effective, which essentially is a sharing of our power and helping others to find their own. Because in my opinion, the only healthy power is power that brings flourishing, to others, to your organization. Um, the payback to the ego is the fulfill- is fulfillment and a sense of purpose. So you're right, it's not entirely selfless, but when the focus is right, you actually, I think, get back at, you know, dividends that are far greater. Um, and it's ty- entirely possible that most of the people in the world who were first given power or when they first attained some type of authoritative power were focused that way. I, you know, to bring flourishing to others, I mean. Um, I often think about this when it comes to like politics. I wonder, you know, when people entered politics, what their vision was. And many stay very committed. You can see it. They stay very committed to the service of others and empowering um, disenfranchised people and, and just serving their communities. And then there's some where you see that's no longer really present in them. Um, you know, and I and I wonder, you know, if it starts to be about holding on to the power, right? It's about the ego of retaining the position they were elected to, and they end up serving special interest agendas or what have you in order to simply retain that power for as long as possible. So it becomes a sort of egoic commitment to holding on to power when I would bet most of the people that first entered that position, first got elected, were very sincere before they kind of, and the term was what, sold out. Um I often wonder if that's because of that fragile ego ego state. Because I think our egos often grow in direct proportion to the amount of power we possess um, or the more insecure we are in our role, which, by the way, is also an issue of an inflated ego to think that we are either more important or less important than we actually are. Um, I think the ego then is at risk of taking over and trumping our noble ambitions. Um, so I think because of the fragile elements of our ego... Um, you know, I think we wish we, we can get tempted to wish to retain power for the sake of its comfort, its satiety, its safety, uh, with less focus on responsibility for others. Um, however, I guess my point of all this is to say that power that's worth having, uh, the power that the world needs now more than ever, is the power to bring healing to a suffering world and to solve society's greatest challenges. Mm. Yeah, and I, 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 who could not agree with that? I think, um, you know, the point you're making about, you know, as we gain more power, um, our egos grow alongside it. I think also what grows alongside it is a, uh, a blind spot, because if you if you look at, mm. um, you know, so many politicians and other public servants who are cor- uh, convicted of corruption, um, for a long period of time, it started with probably a smaller, minor transgressions, and then they felt that they're invulnerable, that, that they could just do as they pleased. Um, and it's almost that they were in complete denial 
of that reality. Um, so I think that blind spot grows alongside it. So the latter part of what you just said, that power used wisely is power to bring healing to a suffering world and to help solve the world's biggest problems facing us today is precisely what power is for. Um, to serve, not to be served. And to recognize the gifts of others and bring them to full realization. But unfortunately, we're not seeing much of that today, are we? Um, that mm -mm. in the leaders of the major global powers right now. And my hope is that the absence mm -hmm. of power leavened with wisdom, purpose and humility will create some sort of new cycle of determination amongst people to call for it, we, that we have a kind of uprising. And, and the coronavirus uh, might be part of what um, you know, brings that about. Mm. When I ask um, some of the most talented people I've met um, what they really want out of their careers, um, they frequently say to make a difference, mm. to be, be part of something purposeful. Um, and so, uh, you know, it saddens me when some of these same individuals fall into the traps of their positional authority as they move up the food chain. Um, and in that reality can begin serving the shadow side of those egos, selfish desires. I, you know, it's almost like this self-preservation instinct almost kicks in. I, I, it's like, um, you know, some of the, I think the desire to retain the power you have and wield positional authority, I, I suspect is partially driven by this self-preservation instinct that I, I, I have, you know, that my material needs are met, that I've got, um, you know, enough money for myself, for the future, and it almost becomes this sort of chasing, right? The American dream, at least, has sort of certainly become this sort of chasing of collecting the most uh, resources for our perceived needs, which are often way overinflated. And we tell ourselves that we're, you know, we're not being selfish when we're, you know, uh, when we lose sight of working among the collective and being part of something really impactful and really important. And we're, we're just trying to climb ladders and we're trying to get more. We tell ourselves we're caring for our family and we're, we're doing all these noble things. And, and it might be partially true, but I think it's self-deceiving. And I think we get stuck in that. What I say is the shadow side of the ego, which is that I want to, I want to hold this for as long as possible. I want to uh, maintain a really strong image. I want to maintain a sense of impenetrability and control. Um, and in that, what happens is it, ultim it ultimately robs us of our purpose, which is to, you know, an authentic purpose, I should say, where it's to have impact and be part of something important and have legacy that's meaningful. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a catch-22 in a way. It's, a, it's an easy trap to step into. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a book about that at the moment called Too Much and, and Never Enough. <laughs> hmm. But coming back to this uh, concept of power as a commodity or a kind of commodity, I mean, I, I, that probably has limits as a metaphor. But I like the idea that you can invest rather than wield power. Yes. But the, the metaphor runs out of steam for me when you think about um, how it needs to be used in the 21st century. In the past, when command and control structures were the, the kind of de facto operating system of a business, power from the ego kind of worked. Um, in many organizations, and it, and it created some amazing organizations and, and a lot of terrible ones as well. But 
Today, our organizations are much more dependent on decentralized power and trying to create deep accountability out across the organization for problem solving at the edges. So leaders can't have all the answers in that world and they can't make all the big decisions anymore um, if they want to create what they say they want, which is agile, innovative, customer-centric organizations. Mm. Today's uh, version of power needs to be based on that law of reciprocity. You know, to get, you have to give. You know, love, trust, respect, the things that we most crave can only be gained by giving them in the first place. So I think today, if you're going to get more power into the organization counterintuitively, to the power hungry at least, you need to vest it in others faster and more pervasively than ever before. I mean, Google gets this. The gaming gump company Valve mm. gets this. Um, mm. But for, Yeah, those, for, are, those are good examples, yeah. yeah. Um, and we could think of some others that, that don't get it. But um, another thought came to mind when you were just talking about the, the economic need for decentralization of power. And that is a reality that nobody keeps their power forever. So those individuals or organizations that sort of use their power and service to something bigger than themselves, they don't fear losing it because they were never really trying to hold on to it. Remember, they're, they're trying to empower. Um, but if you fear losing your power, that might be the first indication perhaps that your power is too connected to yourself, your own agenda, and not the collective. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And if you, it really resonates with me that, you know, when I think about the dozen or so greatest leaders I've ever worked with, um, they're incredibly generous uh, with, with their power. They don't seem to be ever trying to hold on to it. They're doing the opposite. Um, hmm. And in my experience, too, I've seen that power-hungry leaders are quite anxious. The, the anxious leaders produce anxious, fear-based cultures around them. Um, and, you know, those, those leaders who are comfortable with the kind of um, relationship to power that you described, they create a calm, even in the storm. So I think, you know, in today's world, a stress leader may be viewed as being totally dedicated to the business and working themselves to the bone for the sake of the organization. However, I think their stress may be just as likely evidence of fear and egotism. Either way, you know, we're, we're, we're not made to live in that state of perpetual stress. The negative effects on health and relationships and personal well-being have been well documented. But you know, the answer to avoiding those negative effects is not to avoid the stress itself, nor is it to give uh, away everything and seek a kind of unplugged existence completely off the grid. Though in a way, you know, that 2020 has been a bit like that. I'm sure many of us have jumped <laughs> at the chance. But the, the answer as a leader is um, to evaluate the imbalance within. You know, what is the primary source of your stress? And I think that anxiety is we'll explore with, in other sessions, particularly as I hope with some of our upcoming neuroscientist guests, is definitely not something to suppress. I mean, the shift for the evolving leader is to mine those emotions as a primary source of valuable information about what's going on. Not in the sense of this anxiety is because the markets are weak or that there's some new shiny competitor stealing our customers away or why am I surrounded by such ineffective people, but to direct the inquiring inward. So why is my value feeling threatened? Where am I failing mm -hmm. to accept uh, realities or embrace difficult problems or challenges. So I think, you know, negative emotions in this context are the fuel for the evolving leader to let go of their ego 
feeling threatened and ask them much more profound questions about their deep accountability. Mm. I saw something on socials um, from Brene Brown the other day, and it was, I think she was talking about letting go of control because the, the punch of the, the post was basically, but you never had control. What you had was anxiety. Um, mm. And it's this idea that we, we can kind of overthink that we have more control than we actually do. Um, and when we feel like we're losing it, again, when we're sort of stuck in that egoic focus on retaining power, um, I think I think we tend to move towards force. So healthy power, I think, is what we've been saying, is power to support, uh, to serve and not be served. Um, and then I think to do this well requires leading from a place of wholeness and integration, right? The evolving leaders are largely about the external world and the internal world keeping pace and integrating those two realities. And I think that's the work for the evolving leader. And in our culture of affluence, um, we, we tend to live in a, in a culture sometimes where we see that messages and evidence that power is actually to be used over people. Um, but the most powerful leaders use power for people. In Janet Hagberg's book, Real Power, she's come up with six stages of personal power and influence um, that uh, the the integrated evolving leader essentially would would move through. So when we start out, we start out in the sense of powerless, right? We we don't we're not born powerful. So when we step into an organization or we step into a new situation, oftentimes we're we're starting from a position of powerlessness, um, and then we start to move up to level two, which is power by association we start networking we start meeting new people their power sort of um, is a bit contagious and it's a bit through association that we start to wield more power and influence and then step three is that we're moving up into power by position and symbols which in some ways is i think what we've been juxtaposing against this entire conversation which is you know, I'm now a manager and I've got a business card and I've got an office and I've got this and that and my car and these kinds of things that demonstrate a level of power. Then um, for the person, some people I think stick, right? So in each of these stages, it's very possible that you, you don't move past into the, that stage you're on and into the next stage. Um, but the one who does would move to stage four and that's power by knowledge and expertise. So this person starts to become less reliant on what their office says about them or their car says about them or their business card title, uh, any of that stuff. And now people are listening and they're more influential because of the knowledge and expertise that they actually possess that's really developed. Um, from there, they move to the fifth stage, hopefully, which is power by strategic purpose and passion. So oftentimes when a leader is able to move even past and beyond the power of knowledge and expertise, they go into a, a, a sort of an influence from having much more uh, strategic vision and pa passion around something, something really, really purposeful. Um, and then finally, and I, and I don't think this is now shifting us all the way over to the far end of the positive side of the spectrum we've been talking about, and that's stage six, which is power by wholeness and integration. And um, I think that, the, you know, for me, what comes to mind when I think of this person are the few people in my life that I've met where you just, you just know that what they're saying has richness of wisdom and experience 
it just it's humble but it's smart um it's it's gentle but it's confronting um it's just fully integrated this is like the kind of that you know that guru type image that comes um and and i think it's i think very few people actually end up here um but those who do man they're they're the ones that can wield the most influence so anyway so whatever stage you find yourself in if you're listening to these um i think the best way to invest in creating a healthy approach to personal power is to do the difficult work of ongoing self-observation that we've been talking about in previous episodes. Um, If you want to build and sustain a healthy culture capable of really great things, you need to seek to be balanced within. You need to seek to move towards integration, true to who you are and what you want. And without that internal anxious disintegration, we feel when our egos take over and start running the show. Yeah. That's incredibly powerful. And I think we always need to kind of remind ourselves what's the prize for doing this because it's not just about getting power. It's also about um, feeling a degree of poise and satisfaction and happiness in what we're doing. And if we don't have that internal balance that you're talking about, if we don't build the ability to, to be able to see that, then we become continuously more susceptible to external threats. And for the leader... Um, you know, those threats just increase because the, everybody's looking at you. The world is expecting you to do these incredible things that, for the most part, you can't do. Um, you don't actually um, wield that degree of influence uh, over the uh, work of thousands of people. I suppose some suggestions for listeners from this podcast is spend uh, the next week listing out each time you felt your ego directly challenged. Um, When you felt that fight or flight response, write it down, right from the small stuff, like someone talked over you on a Zoom call and you found yourself feeling irrationally defensive um, to to those bigger episodes where... That's never happened to me, no. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) To, you know, those kind of bigger episodes where you said or did something that you know... Um, it was a compulsive in the moment and it led you to attack or to lie or you know, even if it was a small lie to avoid or be passive aggressive. Because each of this, each of these episodes provides you with a powerful lesson in what's happening when your power feels threatened. And they'll also demonstrate to you a truth that your reaction genuinely weakened your power, both in your feeling of it and in the eyes of others. And that single act of prolonged self-awareness of how your power interacts with your emotions might be one of the most single, most important steps you can take on the path as an evolving leader. Wow. Um, Thanks, John. That was really good, really good suggestions. Um, Some stuff I'll I'll definitely take away in in your suggestions as well as I go into my next week. So I've really enjoyed this conversation as always. So I hope our listeners have found something in here that's been useful. Um, So until the next time, remember, the world is evolving. Are you? Are you?